Welcome to Backroom Talk. Today, uh, we're going to have a chat about some societal norms around fitness. But who are we to say, um, no, that's the wrong answer? Like, you, you shouldn't get into this just to look better. I don't mind if my clients want to change their body in some way and have a goal and a good reason to do so, but I do like to challenge them on, uh, you know, exactly what that looks like. Uh, we have to appreciate people's goals, we have to understand what their goals are, and we have to be okay with them still navigating what those goals are. To listen to more Backroom Talk, be sure to subscribe. Learn to design personalized programs with the OPEX system of coaching by heading to opexfit.com. Welcome to Backroom Talk and uh, Carl, today uh, we're going to have a chat about some societal norms around fitness. You know, the reasons people get into fitness and what they expect they're going to get out of fitness and really looking at what does the general population and your average person in fitness think and then what are some of our ideas uh, at OPEX around, you know, outcomes and what success means in yeah. fitness. Yeah, before we do that, though, I, I want to make it a thing every week we need to talk about sports in some, some aspect and Georgia watched the Super Bowl last week and uh she picked the uh the proper winner and in all seriousness it's 50 50 right because there's only two teams playing but you pick the buccaneers and the buccaneers won. How, how did you feel about the game how do you feel about tom brady in his seventh ring how do you feel about all this stuff like i know you even said it on sunday if there's one sport you could get into, it would be football. I did say those words, and we also do have it on tape that I picked the winner. So I feel really good about that. <laughs> if uh, anyone needs proof, I did. Uh, but no, I, it was a really fun game. Uh, if there's one thing I can appreciate about American sports, it's the way it brings people together. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's a great opportunity for uh, friends to get together. We've done it for the last three years now. Yeah. Uh, watch the Super Bowl together, mm. and uh, I think that is that's a powerful thing. And I know that's not the answer you were looking for. Uh, good for Tom Brady. I'm really happy for him <laughs> for winning. But no, I uh, I appreciate sports for that. And gosh, I do. If there were one sport I were to get into, it would be football. I just find the displays of athleticism like fascinating and exciting and man I do a combat sport so <laughs> I think uh, I think you can understand why <laughs> way way too early prediction who will win the Super Bowl next year I don't know uh, enough teams to make a good guess the Detroit Lions <laughs> oh my god did you guys just see my face <laughs> I'm like what is the one team that I know um, oh, wouldn't that man. be crazy um yeah uh gosh that would be the craziest thing that it ever happen in sports if the Detroit Lions win anything actually true yeah well the um was this Brady's last year is he retired now no he said at the end of the game that he is definitely coming back next year so he'll be 44 next year 44 playing at the highest level of the sport so Emma you and Tom Brady have something in common you yeah you should be playing like some high level professional sport Emma. <laughs> well <laughs> Same I age. no excuse I don't want to hear that age thing seriously uh <laughs> i pick whatever whatever team he's on Ooh, buccaneers you heard it here first all right cool all right sorry 
that was our sports talk for the day. Let's uh, jump back into societal norms and fitness. Yeah. So, gosh, Carl, I'd like to take it personal first and just hear a little bit from you about why you got into fitness. Because you, like, you weren't an OPEXer when you were a kid in the weight room, right? You were influenced by the people and the things that you saw around what fitness meant. So, mm-hmm. what were the societal norms that drove you to want to start lifting weights? Oh, man, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about performance, but it was performance. It was sports, right? To, to get better at a sport. Um, the sport that I was trying to get better at was baseball. Um, so I know we talked about that a couple months ago and, and how I got into this thing. But, yeah, I wasn't an OPEXer because OPEX wasn't around back then. But, um, yeah, it was sport. So I got in because I had this really clear in my brain at the at the time, um, however clear a 12-year-old's brain can be, I had this really clear outcome of wanting to get bigger, stronger, and faster. And the way to do that was to lift weights, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I I played sports, but I definitely didn't get into fitness to play sports. It was, you know, your pretty typical like teenage girl story of wanting to look a certain way and thinking that uh, working out, like doing body attack and, uh, you know, the body pump classes in the gym was going to be the way to do that. So my real introduction to fitness uh, outside of like playing water polo and dancing and and the sports side was definitely to look a certain way. Yeah. I mean, same, same with me, not why I got into it, but it very quickly turned into, as I got to like 14, 15, 16 years old, it, it was so aesthetic based. And it was like, you know, now I wanted to look a certain way and we know why we want to look a certain way when we're around that age. Right. But it was, it was very aesthetics based as well. Um, you know, and I was still obviously playing sports at that age. So there was still that attached to it, but there was this like, conundrum of like I want to look this way but I also want to perform this way and I wasn't putting two and two together like back then right but it was uh when I look back at what I was doing at like 15 16 years old it was extremely aesthetics based and in my brain I, th- I was telling myself I was doing it for performance but yeah I think a lot of um a lot of younger people when they get into it um it is it, it does turn into you know aesthetics and looking a certain way because your body changes so quickly You know, so even even if you get into it for one reason and you look in the mirror, you know, week over week and you're like, man, I didn't have this before. I didn't have, you know what I mean? And you start to see that it's almost like it it becomes not an addiction maybe to some people, but it becomes a little bit of an addiction where you're like, oh, I need to keep doing this because I'm looking. I'm really liking the way I'm looking right now. Right. So that could be like some uh, some motivation for people. Yeah, I mean, people get feedback from their friends as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've lost weight or your biceps are looking great, Carl. Yeah. Uh, you hear that from your friends at that age and that that feels great. Mm-hmm. You know, you really want to be included and supported and get that confidence from your friends. So I think it's a real confidence booster to find fitness at that age too and, uh, and see, see and hear and get that feedback. Um, I know we talked about self-confidence as being something that a lot of people are seeking from fitness. And I think that goes together on both the aesthetics and the performance side. If you look better or you're performing well at your sport, it's probably going to offer some kind of a confidence boost. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let's lay out, uh, personal stories aside, let's lay out like what the main pieces are that people are coming to uh, fitness looking for maybe the pros of some of them as well as the cons and where there may be some misalignment. And, and as I said earlier, then kind of go into what we uh, see as maybe some upgraded or some OPEX ideas mm-hmm. around uh, outcomes in fitness. So I'm just going to read through our list and then let's go through each of them. So we had jotted down our prior performance, 
aesthetics, community, uh, stress relief, self-confidence, and then party tricks or challenges, overcoming challenges as uh, a lot of the main things that people are coming to fitness for. Let's walk through each of them briefly and uh, again, discuss some of the upsides and downsides, starting with aesthetics. Like is aesthetics a good reason to train? Yeah, for some people it is. Um, I think no matter what age you are, right? Like, uh, you know, people have people have goals and I think we have to respect those goals, right? And, and appreciate people's goals and not look at them like, you know, that's a super self-serving goal and that only serves yourself and where is that going to lead you in 10 years and stuff like that. I think as coaches, we have to have that in the back of our minds and we have to talk our clients through that stuff. But who are we to say, um, no, that's the wrong answer. Like you, you shouldn't get into this just to look better. Um, I do think we have to, we have to give them the, we have to challenge them is, is what I should say. We have, we should challenge goals all the time, no matter what those goals are or how aligned or misaligned we think those goals are. It's, it's always beneficial to challenge people's goals in a tactful way, right. To just kind of dig in and be like, why do you actually want to do this thing? Um, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of people get into fitness for aesthetics and I, all of these, this, this entire list that we go through, I think I'll have like the same answer of like, I, I think it's okay if people get into fitness for these reasons, because what does that mean? That means that more people are moving. That means that more people are exercising and more people are, will have the opportunity to one day appreciate fitness for what we appreciate it for. So, um, I think there's some misguided aesthetics goals, right? Where it's like, you know, I want to do this thing and I want to do it in this very particular way to get to this outcome in six months. And then I'm not really thinking past that six months, but that's where we have to have those conversations with clients on. Um, but there are some also, there, there also are some, some, you know, really good things that come from people just feeling like they look better, self-confidence, comfort in their own skin, like a lot of things, right? Where, um, I don't think we can like, you know, bash those. And I, I know we're not trying to do that today, but I think aesthetics is probably the, the biggest reason that people get into fitness. I want to lose weight. I want to look better. And down the road, we can connect to, you know, maybe you losing that, you know, 5% of body fat or whatever it is. It's like, you may actually feel better too, because of X, Y, Z. Yeah, I think the thing I'd really like to challenge around aesthetics is the idea that there is one way to look. And mm -hmm. I think the fitness industry for a long time has pushed for has pushed forward this ideal of what a male or a female should look like, uh, what healthy is, the idea that healthy looks one way. And so I don't mind if my clients want to change their body in some way and have a goal and a good reason to do so. But I do like to challenge them on, uh, you know, exactly what that looks like. And is this body composition change they're seeking actually connected to health? If someone wants to compete in bodybuilding or they just really want to lean out and they have a great reason for it, uh, fine. But again, I do like to challenge the notion that being leaner or putting on more mass, whatever it might be, is actually the healthiest thing for an individual. Yeah, I think we have to look at it more as is it unhealthy to do this? Right. Um, because when we actually dig down and, and we dig into most clients, um, most clients outcomes based on where they're at now, um, I think we'd be not surprised when it's like, you know, you actually would be healthier if you lost five pounds. You would be healthier if you maybe had a little bit more muscle mass, just looking at where you are, what you do, how you feel on a daily basis. But I think, like you said, like when we start getting into the performance realm of like, 
or not performance, but competition realm in aesthetics, that's when we can, it starts to get dangerous, right? It's like, why the hell do you want to go from 5% body fat to 3% body fat? That's where we're starting to talk about like, you know, health ramifications, but not a lot of people are there, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, a lot of people that are getting into fitness are not ultra lean, right? Not a lot of people that are getting into fitness um, have succeeded to a point in their own brains where they're like, now I just want to refine and now I want to get here and here. Like, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, the dietary aspect of it because that's different, right? That's totally different when we start talking about, um, eating disorders and losing weight by not eating food. I think this conversation is around fitness and getting into fitness and exercise, um, you know, to, to get rid of that extra X amount of percentage of body fat or put on, the extra, you know, couple pounds or kilos of muscle mass. Um, but I think if we look at, or if we ask the question to ourselves, is this an unhealthy behavior or activity? I think we'll, we're going down the right track. Um, but it's funny because I, I talked to a client a couple of days ago and, and she said, you know, I want to look better. Like I, I really want to focus on, you know, losing some body fat um, you know, improving my aesthetics. And I asked those questions. I was like, okay, you know, question number one is why do you want to do it? Like I didn't like guide her around anything. I was just like, Hey, why do you want to do it? And she, you know, based on her response to that, I was like, that's a, that's an admirable reason. I can, I can get that. I can get on board with that. But question number two was what does it mean to get there? Like, what are the, what are the objective things or even the subjective things that we can look at where we're like, okay, we're there. Now we can kind of pedal off the metal a little bit and take a more sustainable approach to this. And that's where a lot of clients get into uh, a conundrum where they're like, ooh, I never actually thought about that. I just wanted to get leaner. So I think we have to guide them to make them understand, like, when we get here, we've succeeded. Because if we don't do that, we'll never get there. It's like this... I want to look better. I want to look better. I want to look better. And then now we start to get into that realm of being unhealthy over years and years and years. Yeah. I think that's a great question to ask as well as just like taking a look and asking, is this realistic? You Mm -hmm. know, 60 year old male who has a big (laughs) boss training history behind him who comes to you and says like, I want to put on 10 pounds of lead mass. It's like that probably isn't going to happen right naturally yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) or i don't know a woman who's in her late 20s who's Mm -hmm. uh like wanting to have a baby and is it a healthy body fat range she could maybe be like a little bit leaner but she's in a healthy normative range and she wants to get pregnant like is it necessarily healthy or realistic for her to drop body fat probably not yeah uh so i think asking yeah is it is it healthy and is it realistic are are important questions we talked about it last week right with like energy systems training um what are you set up genetically to get there as well? Because I know a lot of people that were not that will never be ultra lean. I know a lot of people that will never had have, have a lot of muscle mass on them, um, just because their genetics say no to that, right? So um, that's a great question to ask. It's like you know, can you genetically look like this person that is like your beacon of aesthetics and why you're doing this thing, and you have the, their picture on the wall, and you're you're moving, you want to move closer and closer, looking like that. It's like that might not be possible because of your genetic makeup and how you're built and put together. And it's like, it's not a bad thing, but let's look like a better version of you, like whatever that better version of you means. Um, but before we move on, something that you hit on is like the fitness industry and what the fitness industry is telling people they need to look like. I don't, I don't know if there is a fitness industry anymore. 
as a whole. I really don't. Um, because, you know, years and years ago, if we were to say the fitness industry, we would probably look at like a commercial or we would look at, um, you know, a supplement company and what they're putting out or a magazine or a blog or a forum. Like that was the fitness industry. It's like today, what's the fitness industry? Like the fitness industry is a bunch of random people out there putting out their message. So I don't, I don't know if the fitness industry is telling people they need to look a certain way right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, like our magazines, like men's health and shape, like are people still reading those? Uh, indirectly through like, uh, I think you can get it through like the Apple news subscription. Like I know I have that and I'm like, I, I was, I found myself on my iPad, like scrolling through men's health last month. And I was like, man, I haven't done this in like a decade. Uh, so yeah, those are still out there and I think people still consume stuff like that. But, um, it seems like, it seems like even like men's health and, and, uh, you know, uh, let's call it like the old EASs and and supplement companies and stuff like that. They're so, they're so stuck in a niche, right. Where they're just like, they're like, this is who we talk to. And, you know, we're not saying everyone needs to be this, but this is our market. Uh, but maybe that's just my perception of it at this point. Maybe people don't realize that's what they're doing, but I just don't think general population people consume that stuff anymore. Yeah, it's, it, this is a really nice tie-in actually to like our norm number two around fitness, which would be uh, performance because I know I started with the intentions of uh, looking a certain way when I started lifting weights in a Globo gym and I found CrossFit and it pretty quickly transitioned to this like pursuit of performance mm-hmm. and that was what I wanted to get out on my training and it was no longer really what my body looked like so much. It was like, how much can I clean and uh, you know, how many pull-ups can I do and how fast can I row this 2K and things like that. So yeah, I do, I do think that like largely performance has supplanted aesthetics uh in, in the fitness world for general population. Like there are more and more people that are not playing sports that are striving for performance over aesthetics now with the rise of CrossFit and uh, other training methodologies like it. Gosh, I think that's such a small subgroup though. Right. And just go out to go out to any commercial gym, right. And just take a couple laps. You don't see a lot of people really giving a shit about performance you see people and you know it it still looks like the 90s right when you go into commercial gyms it's like you have and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with this i was one of these people right you have like the guys in the the cutoff tees with their beats by dre's on and they're in front of the mirror doing bicep curls right or you have them doing you know what we would call like uh you know improper squats right with a lot of load on on the barbell right and they're not doing it for performance they're doing it for mostly aesthetics still. So I think the subgroup of people that train for performance is still so small, but it's so magnified in our lens because we see it all the time in the, like the functional fitness world. But um, it's still there. It's still there. And I think that's what attracts people coming from that and going to like functional fitness or CrossFit gyms and stuff like that is like their eyes are open to like, oh, maybe I should think about my performance and not just my aesthetics because – these groups are saying that performance equals health, right? So I can be more healthy. I can feel better if I do higher intensity stuff and if I sweat and then, you know, if the, the whole, that whole story, right? So um, I think it is a subgroup, but I, I still think it's there. And I think people are moving from, and I don't think they're doing this in like a, some massive way where the entire industry is shifting, but people are moving constantly from the commercial gym to the functional fitness gym. But I think there's, these days, there's just as many people that are moving from the functional fitness gym to 
the commercial gym as well. Yeah. Uh, performance, is it a worthy goal? <sighs> yeah, I think that depends. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think when, when I hear performance, I think about uh, trying to win at something, right? Or trying to like maximize physical potential to a point where you don't actually care about what the after effect of that thing is. Um, I think it's a worthy goal for someone that is that is pushing it and that's what they're striving for and they're like competing and they're doing that thing where their their life is around this sport um, and around performance. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I think that is a worthy goal for those people. But for the person that, that we just talked about that goes at the commercial gym, sees this thing and sees a bunch of people snatching and doing chest of our pull-ups, you know, for that person to say, I need to get better at that just to get better at it. I don't think it is a worthy goal. And I think that's what coaches have to challenge their clients on when, you know, a client comes to you in a consultation and they're like, am I getting better? And it's like, okay, what does getting better actually mean to you? And it's so implanted in their brains that getting better is having a better this time, that time, having a better one RM, having a better, and then you'd like take a step back and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, that was never even a part of this conversation, right? So it is in their brains, though. It's like, you know, performance is so naturally this this measurement or this metric of I'm getting better or I'm not. Because I think we see things, um, a lot of people in the fitness industry, uh, whatever the hell that is, as we just talked about, they see things in this like metric-y graph thing where it's like, if I'm getting better, things are doing this. Um, and usually because what our M's and times are what we can measure in this way, we look at those and we're like, am I getting better or am I not? So that, that is, uh, that's reality right now. And I think that, I think that it's a, it's a shame that most general population people are looking at like the metrics as like a, a measure of getting better or not. And they're not looking at like the, the things that they're not like taking a look in the mirror and they're like, how do I feel when I wake up? They're not saying, you know, uh, how do I feel when I go six hours without eating? Can I survive, right? Or am I in like this like coma in the in the corner where it's like my blood sugar is? You know what I'm saying? So, I think it's uh, I think it depends. Yeah, gosh, I think it's like it's us as coaches that fall into that trap too, though, right? Like we like to be able to see progress and know our our clients moving in one direction or not. And the easiest way to do that is by giving them uh, giving them a 5k row and asking mm-hmm. them to retest that in eight weeks or testing their back squat or their bench press. And so it's really easy to get carried away with that and having like all these great ideas of assessing and testing in your back pocket and thinking, man, I need to apply this to every client, including my 40 year old soccer mom yeah. and my 60 year old retiree. Like all of these people need to be testing all of these things. Otherwise, why are they even doing fitness? And Gosh, I know I've made the mistake in the past of thinking that I need to push in performance on those specific measurements with clients and just ended up creating like more stress for them because they're like, my life is already really stressful and now I have to come and do this like 2K row and uh, this back squat 1RM. Like that's just uh, not necessarily connected to their goals and uh, it's me putting a performance model on them. Yeah, I think uh, I think two really good measures of success that we could start thinking about that, you know, one of them is objective and the other is subjective is number one, the objective one. It's like, how consistent are my clients? I prescribe my clients this thing uh, or these things on a daily basis. What's, what's their percentage of actually accomplishing what I set out for them to do. And at the end of the day, you know, 
what what's inside of that program has to be good, right? Like it has to be a solid program, but a solid program is so different from that 40 year old that you just talked about to the 25 year old that's competing in this thing over here. So I think, you know, in an objective way to look at is this thing, are we seeing successes for both of those people? If both of their compliance rates are 98% over 52 weeks, it's like, wow, that is, that's awesome, right? They're aligned, they're doing their thing. And then the more subjective thing, it's like when you, when you have a conversation with your client or you get off of a consult with your client and you have that feeling of like, that was a good one, right? Like that's an awesome measure of success because I know that coaches that coach people one-to-one, you, we've all had clients where you see that, you know, 30 minute consultation on your calendar and you, you don't, you dread it. You're like, I don't really want to, you feel like there's like misalignment with that client. Right. And you get off the consult and you're like, gosh, you know, we've all had those clients. Right. So if you have that feeling after you get off of that consultation, or when you see that on your calendar, I would say that that is not a healthy, successful, whatever you want to call it, coach client relationship. Right. So something needs to shift there. But inversely, where you have the client where you see that consult and you're like, Ooh, this is like a break in my day. I really enjoy talking to this person about, you know, what we're doing in their design and catching up with them, seeing how life is going, so on and so forth. And then you finish and you're like, man, 30 minutes went by so quick. I wish we had another 30. Like you're thinking that that's another subjective measure of success in my opinion. So I think those are two things that are really, really important compliance and that feeling around consultation. Mm, I had that feeling this morning after a consult. Yeah. It was. It was. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good coach-client relationship. Uh, let's let's move on to community. Because I'm not coaching a oh. lot of people, mm-hmm. I think it's important for me to say this. I have that feeling 100% of the time with the people I coach right now. <laughs> Carl's like, I love you all, clients. No, no, no I, I only have a couple, right? But um, I do remember the times when I was like over 50 and it was like there was, the, it was always like the 10 clients, the 8 to 10, where I was like... Oh, man, I got to transfer this this client to another coach. This just isn't working. I just didn't enjoy coaching those people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, community. Community as a societal norm. Is mm. that a, is that something we should strive for in fitness? And gosh, I know I've been a part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've wanted that. Uh, I've made great friends out of fitness and the gyms I've been a part of uh, who will be friends for life. So yep. I don't want to poo-poo the idea that community is something people shouldn't get out of fitness no we can't and we can't separate fitness from life that's what people want in life right the the tribalism and being a part of things and having like their group of people um we can't say yes that's what human beings are naturally striving for and looking for and then say like oh but you shouldn't get that in fitness because fitness should be this thing that is only for this and alignment and here and it's it's, fitness is a part of life right so I think naturally, and not everyone, but a good percentage of people are looking for that tribalism, being a part of something, that whole deal, especially with something that they're doing three, five, six times a week for one to two hours. Every That's a good amount of their time that's being spent there. So um, I think that's why a lot of people look for community and fitness is because their gym is a part of their life and what they do and all of that. So I think it's not, that's like saying you shouldn't look for, to have a, a great workplace, right? It's like, that's obscene. Like you spend so much of your time with these people. It's like, why wouldn't you want to enjoy spending time with those people and that being like your work tribe, right? 
so I think it's just natural as human beings to always look for those those subsets of, of tribes and, and uh, people to connect with. Yeah, and I, I think it's like in any group, in any place you are, in your work, uh, in relationships that you make, uh, you know, outside of the gym, you got to make sure that those relationships are supporting you to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a community where the pressure of the people around you is forcing you to do something you might not otherwise do and it's having a negative effect on you maybe you're feeling peer pressure to do a muscle up and uh, you don't actually like really want to do a muscle up if you look in your deepest heart of hearts but the people around you are all striving for it I think that's where it gets a little bit muddy right when people are chasing things that are not actually connected to their goals just because the people around them are doing it yeah gosh that's that's everywhere though right like Mm -hmm. we tell our kids like be your own person be be a leader do all these things don't like fall into this group just because they're doing it like that's not you right like like pave your own path or whatever the terms are right so um again human nature when we fall into that and there's a group of people that are striving for this thing and you don't even realize it but you just kind of fall into it and you're just like yeah, that's me too. I want, I want that. I want to be like that. I want to do the, do these things. I think that's so natural. And I think just on the aesthetics with the aesthetics conversation, um, we have to look at where is that dangerous, right? It's like, are you trying to get those muscle ups and you tear your shoulder girdle out of its, out of its socket, right? Uh, okay. If that's the case, you need to step back and, and not do that. But if you're just like in the background saying, good job, high five, you got a muscle up, like where's the harm in that? Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to human nature, it's like what happens when we exercise, right? Like dopamine increases and those happy hormones and those feelings, um, it's so natural in that environment to want to share that feeling with the group of people, right? Just kind of think about how we kind of fuck around out here in the gym, right? Like when we're working out, you know, it's like we have that, right? Like we're all doing different things. We're all doing our own things. But in between sets, we're like joking around with each other. We're making fun of Jacob. We're doing, you know what I mean? We're doing all those. I feel like we have to bring up Jacob on every podcast. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just human nature, right? Like we, we usually, if we're not like driving ourselves into the ground, we feel good when we exercise. So it's natural to want to share that with, with, uh, with a group of people. Yeah. I think important thing that you just highlighted there though, was that community doesn't mean sacrificing your own training goals Mm -hmm. uh, that you're looking for so it's completely fine to seek community but people also have to remember why they're exercising and it's probably to increase their fitness in some way so are you getting community and also getting the fitness results you want or are you just getting community and your fitness is actually not moving in the direction you want it to Mm -hmm. so just making sure that both of those things are happening together which is what i love about our gym and Mm -hmm. opex gyms in general is Everyone's doing their own thing. Uh, they're all working towards their own fitness goal, but you still have that community vibe, uh, yeah. which is so important. Mm-hmm. Cool. Little pump for Opex gyms right there. Yeah, man. <laughs> gotta, gotta get there. Gotta Absolutely. Go. Gotta go. If you're not part of an Opex gym, you gotta get your shit together. You gotta join one. People be like, but there's not one around me. What do I do? open one i don't know i don't know go through ccp open an opex gym there we go that's the answer so stress relief is uh, kind of next on our list for norms around fitness and man i've definitely used fitness as a as a stress reliever in the past healthily and unhealthily i would say mm-hmm. uh definitely been times in my life where i've just been 
really worked up and stressed out and burning the candle at both ends. And for some reason, it felt like the best thing to do in that situation was to go and bury myself in a deep hole of fitness. Uh, Your accent changed to a uh, U.S. Southern accent. Did it? Yeah, as you went there. I don't know if you noticed that, Emma, but it got real... uh, Got real southern there. For I, a was I was remembering I like some times. I, think. I don't know, in the, in the deep south, <laughs> when I did intense fitness. No, I think um, yeah, I think this is a tricky one. This isn't one that, in my opinion, um, can be kind of like brushed off as like, oh yeah, it's okay. Let people do their thing. Um, just because when people are relying on fitness as a stress reliever, I think that's an in our opinion, in my opinion, that's where it starts to get, that's where it starts to get maligned, where it's like I, fitness, that's not what fitness is for, right? It's not for, you know, you to, you know, get your hit of cortisol to give you energy to go on. It's not to um, burn energy so you can go home and bonk out and go to sleep, right? Um, it's not for, you know, you had this terrible day here, so you're going to forget about it and go smash yourself here. Um I, yeah, I think that's just, that's, that's, that's very, very malaligned. Um, but if you were to say like, you know, fitness makes me feel good and it, it just acts as like a natural self or stress reliever. And it's not something that I absolutely need on a day-to-day basis. It's like, yeah, I can, I can get on board with that. Um, you know, I, I fall in that boat, right? Like, and it's not directly correlated to stress, right? Because fitness actually increases our stress. Does it relieve it depending on what we're doing inside of that fitness? But um, yeah, I feel like something's missing if I don't do fitness on, on any given day. So I get it. Um, but if something comes up and, and you can't, you know, get in your 90 minute session, um, the rest of your day shouldn't be ruined. Or if you don't get in your 90 minute session at the end of a day, like that shouldn't ruin your entire night. Right. So I think, you know, when it becomes a dependency, I think that's where, where there's an issue. Yeah. I think, uh, having a healthy relationship with, with fitness and, being able to do it in a way that maybe helps you manage stress and makes you feel really good is just having it as a part of your routine, mm-hmm. right? It's just part of what you do. Like maybe you do it in the morning at the same time every day and it just feels good to stick with that routine and it's not necessarily because of what you're doing in the gym. Um, it's not because the fitness itself is relieving stress, but it's because you've created a routine and rhythm for yourself that helps you manage stress throughout the day on uh, other things like, you know, the amount of water you drink throughout the day and how you structure your work day and the time you go to sleep and what your wind down routine is. All of those things also can help support that. Yeah, I think the danger is when you're compounding stress and you think it's a stress reliever, um, especially depending on what you're doing for fitness, right? If you're going in and doing really intense stuff, you know, five times a week on top of all the additional stressors that you have in life, that's where we burn the candles at both ends, kind of what you said that you went through and you experienced. Um, So that's where this thing can become really dangerous. Yeah, it can. Yeah, Yeah, it can, guys. (laughs) So... Next one, self-confidence and using fitness as a way to boost self-confidence. And I know we hit on this already a Mm -hmm. little bit, like around performance and aesthetics and having those things make you feel a little bit better about yourself. Uh, But do you think that that's a good outcome? Yeah, I think so generally, right? I think uh, as humans, we like to feel accomplished. Um, You know, I, I feel accomplished after I work out, right? I feel like I just checked a box and it made me feel really good. And, you know, it, it sets up my day to, to be a successful one. Um, 
you know, or you look at people that don't have anything. They don't have like their thing. Uh, just think about like a young kid, right? And, you know, maybe they have uh, people at school, kids at school that play sports, but they never quite got into sports. They're not good at it and they don't feel comfortable doing that, that type of thing, right? And then you have this other group of kids where they're like in band or choir and they're just like, ah, I don't enjoy playing an instrument. Um, I'm not very good at it. Um, and then they find this fitness thing and they're like, oh, I really like this. I don't know if I'm good at it or not because I have nothing to compare it to because none of my friends or no one at school is doing it, but I just feel good, right? They're going to wake up the next day after they, and they're just going to feel better, right? Like they're going to put on their clothes, they're going to go to school and maybe they have fitness to look forward to after school and confidence increases, right? Because they feel like they have their thing. Um, I think fitness should be one of those things. It should be like, uh, I, th I think everyone should be doing fitness, but there are, there are, especially when we start looking at younger kids, like there's, it's, I, I feel like we've said subset a million times, but there are subsets of kids that are into fitness, but that's a minority. Like you don't go to schools because there's not even gym classes in most schools anymore. Right. So you don't, you don't typically go to schools and, and see a bunch of, you know, kids going to the gym after school. Um, so I think it's cool that that can be like a, a nine, 10, 12 year olds like thing. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to the gym and doing some fitness after, after school and some really good self-confidence can be built there. Yeah. And then as it's the same thing as you get into like adulthood, right? Where it's like, you know, let's, let's say you, you have, uh, this, this avatar of a guy or a girl that played sports in high school and they went to college, they had kids, they got married. Um, and they, they never had that thing that was like sports, right? So they get back into fitness and now it's their thing again. So confidence starts to go up. Um, aesthetics start to get a little better. Um, they get that hit of like little dopamine when they're doing some really good resistance training and they're breathing heavy and stuff like that. Um, and they're just a happier person. Um, so I know where I'm like blending self-confidence and like being happy and all of these things, but, um, I think fitness can act as a, as a nice confidence booster for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think about like asking my questions, uh, asking my questions, asking my clients about their wins for the month and just seeing them light up and feel good about themselves as they reflect on the fact that they hit three sessions per week and were compliant with all of their training over the last month. Or they were so excited because they were able to hold a steady pace on their row throughout their map eight intervals. Or they were stoked that they were able to hold a plank for 60 seconds. Like those aren't crazy feats and performance and like fancy skills or anything like that. But there's something about like overcoming challenges, even if they're relatively small challenges and just like a little bit better than the day before that helps someone to feel really confident and like they can, like they can do this thing, like they can stick with these behaviors that support their goals and, and what they want to get out of uh, their fitness. Yeah. There's a, there's a group of people too that are like, wow, I never thought I could do that. I never pictured myself picking a barbell up off the ground that weighed more than me. Right. So there's, there's some self-confidence stuff that comes along with that. And obviously there's some good stuff, you know, physiologically that comes along with, you know, being able to lift your body weight off the floor if you had to. Um, but yeah, I think that's all good stuff. Definitely. Last one on societal norms that we had here. Um, I put it down as like party tricks and challenges, but like basically doing cool shit is yeah. how I'm going to define <laughs> this one. And like people thinking that that's what they need to get out of their fitness. Like, do we have to be able to do a freestanding handstand push up and do a 
pull over the bar with a med ball between our feet and then do like three dips at the top and come down and do a toe to bar <laughs> to be successful well, in fitness. Well, well, my answer to that is no, but societal norms wise, I think doing cool shit in society is being able to do a wall walk, right? Doing cool shit in society is to be able to do a one-legged or a pistol squat, right? Um, so I, I think those are admirable, right? Like that's, we should be able to do those things as human beings. Um, so, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that, but you know, when you're, when you get into like, you know, should, should I be able to do like a, you know, back handspring, reverse muscle up, um, <laughs> you know, craziness like that, um, back roll to support, you know, it's like, yeah, maybe not, right? Like maybe not, maybe, maybe that's not the, the, the smartest thing to do at, at uh, your fitness level and, and your age, but um, yeah, I think it's okay to, you know, want to accomplish cool things. And I know we went to the other side of the continuum, but you know, we talked about it the other day where it's like, you have those people that look at like a barbell movement and they're like, wow, I really want to learn how to get a barbell overhead like that. Right. And obviously, you know, we have to do our due diligence and make sure that that client is capable of doing that. But that's, that's something that'll keep them coming back. Right. Like, it's like I have this thing in front of me where it's like now this thing is my goal to be able to do it and there's no harm in wanting to do that thing. It's just like this fun thing that keeps me connected to fitness um, and it's like, okay, cool. I accomplished that thing. Now what else? Because um, I've, I've worked with so many people that are like, I want to learn how to do a handstand walk and it was like, it was just so fun, right? Like building out the, the, the progression in the program to get them to be able to just flip upside down and feel comfortable and being inverted to eventually seeing them walk on their hands. It was like a really cool sense of accomplishment. And there were some, some really good, um, there were some really good things that came along with going through progressions like that and self-awareness. And, um, you know, for some, it was like losing a little bit of body fat and you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I think that's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just making sure the scaffolding is in place. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, where it can become a little dangerous and where I've seen that happen is, where it's like this daily, can I one up myself and my friends mm -hmm. on Instagram by like posting the coolest video of me doing like the coolest, craziest thing um, just because. And again, like whatever, people will be people and it's mm -hmm. okay if you want to do that. But if that's what you think that you need to get out of your fitness, probably something's a little little misaligned there. Yeah, if that's if that's why you're doing it. I think that's a little weird. Who's that guy that's, uh, what's his name? Juju Mufu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's the, cool. It's cool stuff. He's like the stuff. fitness tricks guy, right? <laughs> it is really cool yeah, stuff. He, he's done some impressive stuff. Emma, have you seen him? Oh my gosh. We'll show you after. But he's done some pretty impressive things. You're just like, what the hell? Like, how did you even think about doing that? Like, what was the progression to be able to do that? Wow. This dude's like in the full splits with two chairs, like behind the neck pressing like 200 pounds. You're like, gosh, you have some strong groins. Yes. <laughs> All right, I want to pivot now. Let's go uh, into our OPEX norms uh, and like what we really see as being great reasons to do fitness, maybe some of the things that inform the conversations we have with clients uh, and the path we kind of try and set them on. So the first one is uh, reaching your goals, obviously. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> that's important for coaches, right? I mean, gosh, everyone everyone has different goals, right? Everyone has different goals. And, um, some people don't even know what their goals are, right? They, they just know they want, they want change. Um, so coaches have to learn how to navigate those conversations with people, um, and not trying to force like a, a very particular goal 
on every single one of their clients so they can just be like, okay, my job is a lot easier because I know I'm working toward this one thing because for most people there isn't that one thing. Um, but based on what we believe, we believe that we have to have an idea of what we're working toward. So we can call those goals, we can call them outcomes, we can call them uh, you know, intent, whatever it is, right? We have to have an idea of what we're moving toward. So if the goal is to like become a better mover, right? Like that's so clear. And it's like, we know what it takes. We know the equation to get there. And we know the, how long that really takes depending on who that person is. Um, so I think uh, we have to appreciate people's goals. We have to understand what their goals are. And we have to be okay with them still navigating what those goals are. And we have to have input and we have to give them input on what we think because we can't just, you know, be the voyeur and sit back and listen to what they say and like just write the program because uh, they don't, they don't, most people don't, don't really know. They don't know, you know, what this thing means tangibly in fitness. Yeah. I mean, I think about everything we just discussed and all of those things could fit inside of someone's goals and it's okay for those things to fit inside of someone's goals. But the point is that like one person may be chasing aesthetics, one person might be chasing performance, another person is looking for stress relief. And again, the way we get there and what that actually look like looks like is maybe going to be different from what society terms as those things. But yeah, the, the program just has to match that. Yeah, yeah. And from a coach's standpoint, when you have, so if you're a coach and you're up here and you have 30 clients underneath you, and all 30 of these clients have varied goals. They want different things. You as a coach, you have to have, you have to have like a really clear ideology and, and like what you believe in, no matter what your client's goals are, what do you believe in and what do you think is right? And what do you think is wrong? And what are you trying to lead all of these clients to? Right? So if, if we don't, and if, if our purpose is whatever our clients want from us, we're going to be pulling our hair out, right? Because we're going to have no path. And then when things get complicated with client number 15 and they're like, I don't know why I'm here. We have nothing to stand, stand on. We're just like, well, I have nothing for you because you don't have a goal. Right? So let's say that we say it all the time, right? Like we need to try to make everyone autonomous in their fitness journey. Right? Like, let's say that's like the coach's purpose. If client number 15 is like, I don't know what my goals are anymore. It's like, Hey, that's okay. Let's keep moving forward. Like no matter if these are your goals or not, this is what, this is what your assessment says. This is, what, um, this is what you told me. This is why you hired me. I want to make it so one day you can do this thing all on your own. And then client number 15 is like, huh, that's pretty cool, right? Like, you know, I can, I can get on board with that. Or if client 15 is like, Oh, that's a terrible idea. I want nothing to do with that. Is client number 15 a great client for you if that's what you're trying to get all of your clients to? Yeah, and, and that also helps, I think, uh, coaches who maybe struggle with like the fact that half of their clients are training for health, maybe half of them are training for sport. And they're like, they're feeling like they're doing two contradictory things, mm -hmm. right? But if they have this overarching goal for themselves as a coach and their clients underneath them to work them towards autonomy. It doesn't matter if a client is training to live long and prosper or if they're training to compete in a sport, that goal of autonomy still applies to all of those people. Yeah. yeah. The funny thing is it's, you know, not to bash a percentage of most coaches clients, but most coaches clients could actually do both because they're not competing at a high level in any sport. Yeah. So, you know, can you have performance markers do this? 
while living long and prospering also doing this? Absolutely. Right. Like you're, you're pulling it back a little bit. You're not like pushing threshold 100% of the time. You're not doing four, you know, high pieces a week. Um, you're doing two (laughs) and you're recovering adequately and you're giving them what they need. So you can have clients that are doing no matter where they sit, they can actually be moving toward, you know, living long and prospering. It's when you get like the 0.0001% of people that are competing at a very high level. And you're like, we have to eke everything out of this. We have to train two to three times a day. We have to, you know, bash your head in the ground because we need adaptation to happen because we don't want you to lose. It's like, that is such a small, small percentage of everyone's clients. I don't care who you are. That's a very small percentage of your clients. So I think that's important to understand as well. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we discussed going into this uh, conversation was the idea of doing it forever mm-hmm. and supporting clients to approach fitness in a way that they can maintain for a lifetime. And I think what you're describing there is that 99% of people can do it forever. Mm-hmm. What about athletes? Like, what do you do there? Can they do it forever? Can you train no. them in a way that they can? No, no, they can't. Yeah, no, they can't. They can't do the thing that you're giving them forever if they're that 0.001%. They can't do that exact thing forever. And that's obvious, right? Like if you have any athletes that are like, I want to do this forever, just say, okay, here's a list of every athlete that has ever played your sport. And uh, once we get past this year marker for most sports, it's like six to eight years. They can't do it anymore, right? It's like, well, but there's Tom Brady and Tom Brady's doing it at 44. It's like, okay, we're talking about Tom Brady doing it at 44 because he's an obvious outlier. The average NFL career is 2.5 years, right? So that's how long they can do it. You're probably not going to be able to do it forever. So yeah, if we have athletes and they think they can do it forever, you just have to, you have to spit some truth, right? You have to say, this is, this is reality based on other human beings that are doing your sport or playing your sport at the highest level. Yes, you can participate in any sport forever, most sports forever. You can participate in most sports forever. Uh, but you're not going to compete at the highest level. But if we're participating in a sport, that's what I was talking about. Like you can actually still be healthy and participate in a sport. But if you if you're malaligned and you think that you're competing at a really high level and you need your program to be the same as the program as the people that are competing at a high level, then the, your coach needs to have a conversation with you, or you, the coach, need to have a conversation with your client and just be really honest with them and say, "Hey, you can't do a muscle up yet." what does that tell us? Right. We're not going to do 30 in a wad right now. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm not going to push aerobic capacity to, you know, break you when you're quite frankly, not good at the sport, right? Uncomfortable conversation to have, but it's like, why would we move you in this direction? If this thing tells us that you can't even compete, you can only participate. You're a participant because you're a participant. We're not doing these things because I don't want to make you do this for no reason. And it's like, maybe that client's going to fire you. I don't know. But I think it's, it's important to have those conversations in a very tactful way. Because you as a coach, you have to give, you have to give reality to your clients, right? Like you have to be that voice of reason. Yeah. And if you just play along, and you're like, can't do a muscle up, but let's bash you here. So you feel like you're getting this really good response from the training that I'm giving you. That's where it becomes really tricky. Yeah, gosh. I mean, whether they fire you today or you go months and months and months with that consultation that you're absolutely dreading (laughs) because you know you're misaligned or they fire you in three years because they didn't get what they wanted to get out of training or they got hurt. 
Like it's, it's not going to end well, right? Yeah. I love the flip side of this conversation though. And that's for the 99% of people where you get to have that conversation about doing it forever and training in a way that's going to help them live long and prosper. And it's like, okay, we're at 30 right now. You're 30 years old. What are we going to be doing at 90? Like, let's lay this out and like stretch out what fitness looks like over the next 60 years. Mm -hmm. That is a cool conversation and such a fun one to be able to have when you set people to think, about like, we're not just doing this coach client thing for the next six months. Like Mm -hmm. I want to set you up in a way that you can do fitness for the rest of your life. Again, let's think about what that looks like. It's going to change over time, but let's make sure what you're doing today isn't taking away from what you're doing at 85 years old. Yeah. And a great marker of a successful coach is when clients fire you and you look at them five years down the road and they're still on the right path. Right. So, um, I don't think the coach should be involved in that until they're 90. Um, not I should was the wrong term. I don't think it's likely that the coach will be involved in that when that, when that client is 90 outliers. Yes. Um, but overall, like your LTV on a client is probably not going to extend 30 years, but having those conversations and maybe even throwing in, you know, what is this thing going to look like without me when we're, when I'm not your coach anymore? Um, I think that's an interesting conversation. Um, and we've all lost clients, right? Look at your clients and what they're doing you know, a decade later or five years later. And if they're on the right track, it's like, cool, you, you taught them some things. If they're like, you know, scrambling around and they, they can't get their shit together and all of that, it's like, where did you mess up in that relationship or what could you improve on uh, with your current client? So when they leave you, they're on this like right path and they're, they're progressing forever. Yeah, gosh, I think that's a really cool way for coaches to think about they, the impact they have and like what they're doing, not just looking at, the the clients they have right now but again looking at the people who've moved on and seeing the little influences they have or have not had on that person's life that's special yeah it's cool like you know and i say that because i was uh i I got a message on my birthday from an old client and uh she's a she's a coach now and she has a ton of clients she's doing really well and her fitness is the same as her fitness was you know six years ago whenever i uh, stopped coaching her so um, that was just like a really cool feeling to be like, you know, Hey, how's it going? How, how's everything? Like we're not enemies because we're not coach client anymore. Right. And I think some coaches might feel that way. They feel like, uh, it's a stab when their clients say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm done with this thing. I don't, I don't, I actually don't feel like I need you anymore. I think that's, that could be taken as a positive a lot of the time. Yeah. Gosh, I think in all our relationships, uh, whether it's coach client, whether it's friends that you make over the years, like you take something and you benefit in some way from that person for a period of time. And then maybe life moves on, things change, you move and you're not having the same level of contact with that person anymore. And like, that's okay. It doesn't mean that they're not and weren't your friend, but you got the value that you needed to get from them and they got the value that they needed to get from you at that point in your life. And that value is going to keep keep continuing on and shaping your life even if you're not in contact on a monthly basis george is like the best uh ex ever <laughs> it's like you know i got what i needed from you you got what you needed from me we're good man we're good <laughs> but jacob i'll need you for <laughs> oh, there goes jacob again <laughs> i feel like i had to put that out it was not applying that to my marriage <laughs> that's not seasonal Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I mean, the the next thing we have on the list was uh, the idea of living as long as possible. And I think it really ties into what we just discussed. 
Is there anything you would add on that on longevity? No, I mean, it's a, I think it's a good assessment experiment to look at what you're doing right now. And can you do this when you're 90 or can you do a version of this when you're 90? And if the answer is no, I think it's important to look at, okay, then why am I doing it today? If it, is it because I want to get to this very particular goal or outcome in the next one year, three years, five years? Um, or am I just doing this because I think I need to do it? If it's the latter, just stop doing it, right? Like the whole goal of this thing is to create sustainability so we can do this thing forever until we die, right? So to set ourselves up for that, we have to do a version of that all the way till we get there, right? Like if we're snatching right now because we feel like we need to snatch and we ask ourselves the question, will I be snatching when I'm 90? And you're like, no, it's like, okay, why am I doing it now then? Just have a good reason. That's it. I'm not saying you shouldn't be doing it. I'm just saying have a good reason. Don't just do things in fitness because you think you have to do them. Yeah, it's a good reminder there. Uh, the next one on our list uh, is having great mental acuity. And this is like something I'd never heard anyone <laughs> discuss related to fitness and exercise and nutrition until James uh, just never, never uh, talked about. And I don't think it really connects to anything that was on our earlier list mm-hmm. around societal norms. I mean, maybe the self-confidence piece and stress relief piece yeah, a yeah. little bit. But the idea that like what we are doing in the gym, the foods we're eating, the way we're living in our life should help us uh, feel really sharp and have great energy throughout the day and be able to concentrate on work and relationships and tasks. Man, I just, I'd never thought about that. Yeah, I, I actually don't look at fitness specifically as increasing my mental acuity. I look at fitness as not decreasing my mental acuity. So I would look at nutrition and recovery and lifestyle as, okay, I need to do the things there to allow my mental acuity to be, you know, at, at its peak for as long as possible throughout any given day. Um, I just look at fitness as like, you know, I think I mentioned it on like a team call last week. I was like, I I did a workout today that aged me. So my mental acuity was like a percentage off that entire day. Um, so that was just like a, a reminder, like, Hey, what you did today and the effort that you put out today or maybe the lack of, rec- of recovery going into that session um, actually decrease that mental acuity. So it's just like, boom, note, noted, right? But I don't usually look at fitness as like, I'm going to go do this thing in the gym so I feel really good after and I'm sharp after. I just don't want it dec- decreasing it. Sure, that, that makes a ton of sense. And I guess when it comes to like measuring and looking at that with our clients, it's just asking them, you know, how they feel at the end of each session, uh, asking them for feedback beyond reps and sets on how things are feeling, uh, how they feel after doing an aerobic pace and just making sure they don't finish. And there's like a ton of like skull and crossbone emojis and, you know, they went to work. (laughs) I've seen that before for sure. (laughs) They went to work and they were, you know, just in a brain fog all day because Mm. of what they did in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, um, yeah, I think, a a good marker of, you know, great mental acuity is just, it it, it has to be, it has to be really subjective and it's asking very targeted questions, right? Like, I think it's a good question to ask, like, how did you sleep last night? Right. But it's like, what is, what is the answer to that? And how do we know what led to a bad night's sleep? Um, As a coach, if you have a client that's consistently telling you that they have getting bad sleep, Um, you have to look at the program and you have to look at, okay, am I giving them things in their fitness that is exacerbating that problem? Right. Um, or is it 
lifestyle stuff or is it rhythm stuff or is it um, what they're doing outside of the gym or what they're not doing outside of the gym that's making their recovery and their mental acuity worse. Um, so I would just ask clients like, you know, how do you feel 10 minutes after you wake up? Do you feel sharp? Do you feel on it? Right. If that answer is no, and it's like, I'm really groggy for 15 minutes and then, you know, I do my thing and then I have coffee and then I start to feel better. That would be a red flag because they're naturally just not on point, right? Like mentally. And obviously at two o'clock, they're not just going to like all of a sudden get better. So asking how they feel when they wake up is an important thing. How do you feel after meals? How do you feel before meals? Right. Because if I were to ask someone, how do they feel before a meal? And it's been four hours since they've eaten and they say, I'm really groggy. My mental acuity is really low. It's like, am I giving them something in fitness or is blood sugar regulation probably just a bit off and they actually can't sustain great mental acuity without glycogen being fed to their brains? Um, so that could be another good question to ask. And then how do you feel after you eat? It's like some people get brain fo- brain fog and they get tired and all of that after they eat. And then you look at, okay, what are you eating? What are your meals consisting of? So I think it's a series of questions that we need to ask to identify. Is it fitness? Is it food? Is it lifestyle? Is it rhythm? Um, and we'll never know for sure. We just have to kind of experiment with things and, you know, give a prescription and then, you know, recap and ask, like, did that help? Did that not help? And we're not going to get it right 100% of the time. But we have to understand when we don't get it right. And then we try something else. Yeah, I mean, same goes for everything, right? We never know exactly what's leading to an outcome that happens three or six months later down the track. Uh, Some people say they do. Well, (laughs) (laughs) we don't know, okay? I feel pretty confident (laughs) saying that. Uh, So it is ultimately experimenting and just trying to pick at the details and and figuring out what, what came to that. And mental acuity is one of those things. Yep. All right. Being a capable human being. I think, uh, I mean, functional fitness, man, really highlighted this Oh, this is another thing. I was like, I thought that was your wrap-up. I was like, fuck, yeah, let's be capable. (laughs) I want to be capable. No, being (laughs) – but we do. We want to be capable human beings. I think it's a really great reason to do fitness. I think it means something a little bit different for everyone based on what their day involves, what their job involves. Do they need to run around and pick up kids, Uh, you know, it's a little different for all of us, but fitness should support that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you've nailed it, right? I think we have to look back at what our days look like and where do we have physical challenges throughout our day outside of the gym? Um, you know, if it's something like you said, like running around and picking up your kids, right? If that's a physical challenge that you experience and you have issues with, it's like, you have to look at, you know, are you capable, right? Like, and I know we throw around the term functional, So it's like, are you a functional human being, right? It's like, what does functional mean? It's being able to do the things that are relevant to you, the things that you have to do on a daily basis. What do you do for work? Uh, Do you have kids? Are you a coach? Do you, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of things that we have to like take into consideration when we think about being functional human beings. But if we were to kind of bucket those things into uh, specifics, it's like, can you perform every pattern of movement effectively? And I'm not saying like a movement screen. I'm just saying, Can you bend over and pick that up? Can you squat and take a poop? Can you, you know what I mean? Like, can you do these things effectively? And if the answer is no, it's like, okay, you're not, you're not a capable human being, right? Because we have to be capable of doing the things that allow us to function on a day-to-day basis. And then I think looking at, gosh, I think especially about like resistance training is what you're doing uh, in the gym. 
uh, allowing you to recover appropriately or can you recover from what you're doing so that you're not like so sore that you can't go about doing your job or you did a bunch of RDLs and your low back is jacked up and you can hardly walk around the house, like making sure that that's not happening. Yeah, it's so similar to the conversation with last week, right? Remember we talked about the differences between fitness and uh, being fit and being well-conditioned. Right. Like being fit is, you know, th- those are the tests and the markers that you that we can test and assess inside of the gym. Being well conditioned is how well do you get on the mat and BJJ and put all that fitness to use? Because if you can't do it, you're not well conditioned. Same with the human. Right. Like can you, being fit in the gym is a lot different than being conditioned for life. So it's like, are you conditioned? Is, is what you're doing in the gym conditioning you for what you need to do in your day to day in your life. So I think that's a, maybe a, a different lens for people to look at and be like, you know, is the stuff that I'm doing in the gym actually increasing my capabilities in, in real life? Yeah. I, uh, see that's where the performance piece kind of gets a little muddy, right? Where you have people who are training for life, seeking performance goals, performance specific goals in the gym, and they're not connecting to what they need to be able to do in life. Are you saying like, uh, people are pushing, uh, performance in the gym and that's making them worse? Yes. Less capable and and correct performance in the, in the gym versus performance in life and just not connecting those two things. Yeah. Gosh, I remember those days (laughs) on the performance side and on the aesthetic side. Um, I've gone through phases where I push performance so much in the gym that I wasn't capable in real life because I was too tired. I was too sore. I didn't want to waste energy like that whole thing. I was like a zombie in real life. And then on the aesthetics thing, it was the same thing. It was like I was pushing aesthetics in the gym so much and I was pushing aesthetics and nutrition and lifestyle where I was like under eating and I wanted to get leaner and leaner and leaner and leaner. And I was a zombie in real life and I wasn't a capable human being and I didn't want to go out and do things with the family. You know what I mean? So um, that's a, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, last thing we have on our list here is one that really like hits home and that's uh, learning and experimenting from physical challenges, which Mm. is gosh, just something I love so much about fitness and that motivates me to get in the gym every day and get in the gym with you and James on a Sunday and try things out. Uh, That ability for us to learn things about ourselves um, just by trying new things out in the gym and learning things about our physical bodies, but also just connecting to our potential uh, through those experiences. Yeah. I think learning, <laughs> learning is the, uh, is the main theme that we have to take from that because if we just do things, we don't learn from them. That's when this happens, right? The story of, you know, burning the candle, the story of tearing your shoulder out. Like if you don't learn from your, the physical, the physical tasks that you perform or try to perform in the gym, that's where it gets dangerous. But if, uh, if you're learning from those things and you're like pivoting and you're experimenting and that experiment is actually turning into refining, I think that's, that's really cool stuff and interesting stuff. And I think we can learn, I think we do learn a lot about ourselves, um, based on what we accomplish or don't accomplish in the gym based on a task that's in front of us. I think it's just so important for human beings to do tough things every now and again. I think it's important for human beings to learn how to make things sustainable and aerobic um, a lot. I think it's, I think it's, uh, really beneficial for humans to use musculature, you know, uh, the fast twitch fibers and the slow twitch fibers on a consistent basis. And 
um, just to learn from that stuff. I think that's all, that's all, those are all like really beautiful things. And especially for coaches who are out there prescribing fitness to their clients to have the opportunity to try those things out in some form themselves. That's a huge learning opportunity uh, for a coach. Yeah. There's nothing worse than a coach that prescribes stuff that they have never done. It just doesn't work out well. I'm judging you if you do that. Well, that's my judging face. <laughs> <laughs> don't ever want to be judged by Carl Hardwick. Uh, it's more disappointment, right? It's like not anger, you know, it's not resentment. It's just, just disappointed. You sound like my dad. Just kidding. <laughs> He's proud of me. <laughs> oh, so I, I feel like that was a good chat. I, yeah, that was good. Uh, I enjoyed running through that. It caused me to reflect a little bit on uh, earlier, earlier days in fitness um, for myself, things that I see for my clients and then, just more clearly to find what I, what we want our people to really get out of fitness. What, uh, what would you say is a, a good action item for people that are listening or watching to either go back and think about or to implement in their programs or their clients' programs? Like what, what really st- stood out for you? Oof, I need to think about that for a second. A good action item. <sighs> As you think, my, mine would be, mine would be to... Just ask yourselves all of these questions that we kind of talked about, right? Like ask yourself, why do you do this thing? Ask yourself uh, or ask your clients what their goals are. Um, get realigned with your clients. Um, I don't think it's enough to do that on like a yearly basis. I think we need to realign with our clients on a weekly and sometimes a monthly basis. Um, so yeah, I think uh, that would be the biggest one for me is just like ensure that you're aligned you know, not like, not that this list is like the thing. And you like, these are like the, I don't know how many things, the 10 pillars of, of uh, great fitness coaches or anything like that. But just think about what we talked about and think about how you can refine either the coach client relationship or what you do in your own exercise or what you do in your coaching practice. I think uh, some good stuff can come from thinking about those things. Yeah. Gosh, I'd just say as an addition, sit and reflect on how your fitness journey has changed and how your ideas around fitness have changed uh, however long you've been doing it. I think that's a cool way for you to measure progress uh, or the evolution uh, that you've experienced and just it's very easy for us to sit and think about the physical changes that have happened over the years or to see those things, but sometimes it can be hard to think about the way our ideas and knowledge around fitness have changed. Yeah. So just reflecting on your journey, which was definitely something I got out of this. Cool. And uh, Tom Brady is going to win his eighth next year. You heard it to here. Georgia. Yeah. 